0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here. For those of you joining us online, it's good to have you with us as well. My name is Mark, one of the pastors here on staff. Quick surveys, we start our time. And hello to our campuses, too, by the way. Quick surveys, we start our time. How many of you have ever done something really dumb when you were in high school? All right, so, okay we can relate. All right, so uh, something I did kind of dumb in high school, Uh, went to a private school, the school was connected to the church that we went to growing up uh, there in Northern Indiana, Northwest Indiana, and uh, they were doing some renovating and there was this microwave that was like 30 years old and they decided to get rid of it. And me and my friends were like, let's get this microwave out of the dumpster and try and blow it up. Right? Why not, right? Why not? So we take this and uh, where our church was, there was a section that was never really mowed and it kind of backed up uh, to this, this subdivision. And so there's this tall grass and uh, it's late October, so everything is dead, right? And so because we're really wise at 17, we're like, that's the perfect spot to try and blow up a microwave. And uh, needless to say, fast forward, we just ended up getting bored and, and nearly set the entire field on fire. And uh, we were just kind of walking around, and by God's grace, by God's grace, and by help of some people who were coming there for another event, we stomped out the fire that was, that, was about, that was about to spread. But That was scary. That was scary. And it's kind of a fun story, funny story like now, but in reality, like fire, that's nothing to joke about, is it? Some of you, like in your life, like fire's been really devastating, maybe to your home or a physical burn from you or a friend. Today, when we open the text, we're going to see the church in Ephesus start fires all throughout the city. But why they do it and what they're they're doing it for is actually really important. And so, looking forward to unpacking the scripture for us today in in this way. But let's catch up with Paul because Paul is all over the place in the book of Acts. And uh, last week, Pastor Ryan uh, wonderfully taught out of the front half of Acts chapter 18. The back half of Acts chapter 18, we see Paul complete his second missionary journey. See in this map behind me, he he leaves Corinth, he makes a pit stop in Ephesus, and then goes back to Jerusalem, and then to Antioch, and. Uh, uh, completing what we call his second missionary journey and then there in verse 23 of chapter 18 he starts his second missionary journey as he moves through what is now modern-day Turkey uh, and ends up in where we're going to be this morning in Ephesus Ephesus as you can see is on the border Paul was very strategic about all the cities that he went to to spend a great deal amount of time in and Ephesus is going to be one of these cities it's a free city uh, it's like a quarter million people, so like like about the size of Madison proper, really large city. All right, there's a Greek goddess named Artemis, and uh, the Romans called her the goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility. She had a whole temple and following there. Uh, there's a lot of spiritual things happening here in Ephesus. There's also this marketplace. This is just a picture of the ruins, the Agora. Uh, one of like these people would travel all through the world just to just to show in this marketplace. Think like mall of America except like really important. <laughs> All right. We just have like lots of lots of important places where you can really, one of the few places in the ancient world, like if Amazon were real, like this is this is the agora. So let's go ahead and catch up with uh, Paul, Acts chapter 19, go ahead and open, go ahead and open the scriptures with me this morning. Uh, first seven verses, Paul's just catching up in Ephesus and there's some disciples of John the Baptist. For those of you that may remember him, we see him in the Gospels who's pointing to Jesus. And these, these men, they don't know about Jesus. And so uh, Paul shares the Gospel with them and the Holy Spirit comes on in their life and it's amazing. We're going to pick up here in verse 8. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So, this is what, this is what Paul does, right? He goes into the synagogue. This is, this is what we know about Paul. But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Now, here we have a really cool kind of nickname for Christianity that we see in other places in the book of Acts called the way. It's literally translated like the path, the pathway. This is the way of Jesus. Christianity is a new way way of living. It's the way. And Paul's in the synagogue. And you can imagine this, this ugly kind of town hall debate kind of scenario where he's trying to preach. He's trying to do his thing. And there are people just openly uh, interrupting him, making it difficult. And he's just like, no, I'm done here. And God opens up another opportunity. And we read this here as we pick this up. So Paul left them. So Paul left them and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now this guy Tyrannus had a lecture hall, whether he was a lecturer himself or perhaps he facilitated lectures, whether he was a God or perhaps a new believer. Either way, God used him in this way to open up this lecture hall that Paul could still preach. And so the church moved there. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And what a small verse for a tremendous impact. And here for two years, some scholars would say maybe more like two and a half. This is the longest, uh, this is the longest stay Paul's ever had in all his missionary journeys right here. It's such an important city that, that people are traveling through and they're traveling out of Ephesus and like the entire uh, known Asia uh, area because of Paul's stay in Ephesus. How wonderful is that? His faithfulness was used in that way. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. God's hand was so heavy on Paul that even like the disgusting pieces of clothing (laughs) or cloth, like handkerchiefs, Right, Those are used to heal the sick. And God used Paul in such a mighty way. There's just few verses that we have that that unpack and and give us a glimpse of this tremendous impact that Paul had in Ephesus. What happens next? Verse 13. So some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say... In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man, the man, the evil spirit, jumped on them, overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It's kind of comical. Until we like really realize what's going on here. And now, Sceva—he's not actually listed in any any of the any of the uh, records of chief priests. So scholars have differing opinions about exactly who he was. But these were Jews who do not know Jesus. Who through some kind of magical spells, sorcery that they may have, may have been dealing with, were casting out demons. And they see this miraculous work that God is doing through Paul. And they say, hey, Paul uses this guy named Jesus to drive out demons. No doubt that Paul was driving out demons in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and throw Jesus in to our little mix, our little smorgasbord of how we do our things so that we can keep doing what we do really well. And it doesn't go well for them. And we read this text and like the man who is demon-possessed speaks out to them. And like For those of you that, that maybe have like watched a horror movie or something like that, like they don't hold a candle to probably what happened here in this text. You can imagine these men, these seven sons of this chief priest, walking in with all confidence walking in with, with all arrogance about them because they know exactly what is going to happen. They have high expectations. They're going to put on a public spectacle on how they can continue to drive out demons so that their name can be made well known. And instead, a demon speaks to them through a man. And who knows what this voice was like, but my imagination tells me that it was probably so eerie and so creepy it probably froze them in their, in their tracks. Maybe even where they lost their breath. And the demon says to them, well, Jesus, I know. And this Paul guy who you just said, I know, but, but who are you? And he unleashes such a beating on these seven sons of Sceva that they run out of the house naked. Bleeding. Remember, Ephesus is like a quarter million people. It's a big city. It's a very fluid city, transient city. Word gets out about this. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. In the name of the Lord, Jesus was held in high honor. This was a city that literally had a temple to Artemis that was the identity of the city. A quarter million people. Can you imagine what it would take here in Madison For without any kind of social media, what it would take here in Madison to seize everybody with fear and to hold the name of Jesus in high honor. Like that's how that's how crazy and important and real this event happened with the sons of Skifa. We read on though, many of those who believed, so all the Jews and Greeks were seized with fear in the name of Jesus held in high honor. Verse 18, many of those who believed, so Luke's narrowing in now, came and openly confessed what they had done. What did they do? A number who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. They calculated the value of the scrolls and the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So here we have the bonfires that I was talking about. You have Christians who are like, we need to hold Jesus' name in high honor and I have things in my life, sorcery, like these sons of Sceva were using, that are not honoring Jesus. And so what do they do? I just, I imagine bonfires throughout the city of Ephesus where scrolls are being burned and you're like, Mark, couldn't have been that many scrolls, but it says 50,000 drachmas worth of scrolls. And scholars have differing differing opinions on exactly how much 50,000 drachmas is, but it's a lot. Uh, One scholar said it's like 800,000 pieces of bread. 800,000 pieces of bread. Another one said it's the equivalent of feeding 100 families for five years in a row. One scholar said that more likely it's the equivalent to one man's wage for 137 years without a single day off. The public spectacle that the early church put on in the city of Ephesus by burning their scrolls was no small thing. And how beautiful that the name of Jesus was honored. So what are we supposed to do about this? Something that the text is showing us here that's a bit unique and, and so to back up, we just need to talk about a subject. We need to talk about a subject that many of us know about, some of us more than others. And the subject is just, we're just going to title spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? Now, we don't have the time to just completely unpack all that spiritual warfare is, but we're going to try and do some really healthy and heavy cliff notes for us this morning. But we got to start at the beginning we got to start at the beginning, so let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created. We believe that there is one God, one God, maker of heaven and earth, who exists in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is sovereign, who is omniscient, he knows everything, who is omnipresent, he is everywhere, who is imminent, he is with us. And, and he saw this chaos, and he created Order and in order, this is Genesis 1. We have this beautiful picture of, of the freedom and the life that God desires for us to have. But in addition to all that He created in the universe and, and the, including this earth that we walk on now, He created something called the heavenly host. And the heavenly host are spiritual beings supernatural beings and, and unseen to us. We, we do not have the ability to see them. And that that should actually be uh, easier for us to understand because science has gotten to a point now where we understand we don't even see certain like uh, certain certain levels of light and sound and so you can put on special glasses now and you can see different uh, different I forget exactly what it's called Calvin's or whatever it is of light and and there's different kind of machines that help us even hear different levels of sound there's so much that is unseen and that is this heavenly host and God created this heavenly host because he wanted to share in his creation. And so the heavenly host was to, to help with humanity. But as we know, there's creation, and then there's the fall, and sin entered the world through Adam because he openly disobeyed God, right? God had this command, do not eat, and Adam ate. Because of Adam and Eve, sin has entered the world and and there was this already, this spiritual oppression that that tempted them to do so. And so we know that there's this heavenly host, there's this sect of heavenly host, this faction of a heavenly host who, like humans, said, God, I'm actually better than you. I know better than you. I can be greater than you, even though you created me and I will destroy your plan. And one of the scriptures actually says that Satan just like fell like a lightning bolt from heaven. And some scholars would say, you know, there's, there's like maybe one point in which this faction fell away from the heavenly host. Other scholars would say there's, there's different points in which this faction fell from the heavenly host. But the reality is that there are spiritual forces and powers in this world who are actively opposed to God's plan, to God's design. They want to show that they are, they are better. And we have this word that we use for this called demons, and demons is used in the Bible, and it's a real word, it's a real description of some of these spiritual powers and authorities, but there's so much more than that. Spiritual writers in the the New Testament, sorry, the, the authors in the New Testament, they talk about these spiritual forces as powers and authorities, as having dominion. And it's very real, and so we have this kind of meta-narrative of Scripture. We have creation. We fall. What comes next? Jesus. Right? Some of you were thinking it. You were right. Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus changes the game. Because these spiritual forces, they didn't create the world, God did. And so what do they need to really, what do they need today in a lot of religions around the world? What do they need to kind of be present and and, and be imminent with the people who want to worship them? They need physical idols, right? They, They need us to like make things out of the earth, And that's the way idols worked, especially in ancient times and still today, that they would craft something out of the earth, out of the dirt, and that you would pray, that you would sacrifice, that this spiritual being would then indwell this so that their presence then in your home or your farm, whatever it is, would then bless bless your family. And how beautiful is it that we have a God, a God above all gods, Yahweh God, the God who causes to be, the great I am, uh, Jehovah, that we have a God who said, I am going to indwell the very thing that I created. I don't need anything made by human hands. And we have Jesus who what? Became one of us. Not letting aside his deity, but fully God and fully man. And what did did he do with this image that he created in his own image? But he used it to pay a price that we could never pay. And so in Jesus, we have this freedom. And all this spiritual power and authority that's trying to undermine what God's plan God humiliated them. We see this. Let's open the scriptures real quick, just a couple of verses. In Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, it says exactly this. Uh, when it says Colossians chapter 2, here, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, fully God, fully man. And in Christ, you have been brought to, what's the word you've been brought to? Say it out loud. Fullness. Fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. We jump ahead to verse 15, and it says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Amen. And so what is spiritual warfare? How should we define spiritual warfare? How should we understand spiritual warfare in our life? For those who have a saving faith in Jesus, Sometimes we call ourselves Christians, right? If you have a saving faith in Jesus, first thing we have to understand is that the war for our life has already been won. The war for our life has already been won. What is spiritual warfare then? Spiritual warfare then is the war for our way of living. The war for the way in which we will live more like Christ. Christ. This is why Paul continues to write as he's writing back to the churches. We have this in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. By the way, like we're planning to, to, to walk through the book of Ephesians in the fall. We're really excited. We're really excited about that. We'll unpack some of these texts even more. But as it relates to our text today, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, uh, Paul talks about the armor of God. And some of us are familiar with this, but how does he preface the need for the armor of God? Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. All right, so there are the devil's schemes trying to work against us. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And so you just need to stop there. Paul is writing this in prison. In a prison like 2,000 years ago probably sitting in his own filth next to people in their own filth. And as he looks through the prison gates, what does he see? But, but a Roman centurion or some kind of armored guard if anyone, if anyone, we would just kind of give grace to uh, had the opportunity to say, our battle is against this evil, evil government. And our battle is against like the people who want to put Christianity down, right? He, we would give Paul the opportunity, like, yeah, Paul, dude, look where you're at. But by the grace of God, that's not what Paul said. What did Paul say? He said our battle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? And he, he lists them off here, rulers. Against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in where? The heavenly, heavenly realms. And just cheat sheet, the armor of God, Just it all points to Christ. Just put on Christ, put on Christ, put on Christ. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, just one last scripture for us here this morning. 1 John chapter 4, he writes this, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world right here. Verse four, this is our hope, this is our trust. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And this is where, when it comes to spiritual warfare, as Christians, if we have a saving faith in Christ, first we have to understand the battle, the war for our life has already been won, but the battle, the war for our way of living, the battle, the war for for the way in which we will live like Christ, that is a a battle where the battleground is every day. Every day. So let's go back to the text. What's happening here in Ephesus? Ephesus the early church sees this tremendous thing happen where these Jewish priests are just completely made a fool of by this demon and they realize, wait, I have something in my life that is not honoring to Jesus. I have something in my life that's actually inviting spiritual warfare and I need to burn it. And so they had this tremendous outpouring. They didn't need to burn it. So for us today, you know, maybe, maybe a simple question, just like low-hanging fruit, is just simply like, what in your life do you need to destroy? What in life do you need to, to, to metaphorically burn? Or what in your life do you need, you need to fire up the fire pit tonight? You know what I mean? We're going to burn this. But seriously, it still exists today. Black magic and sorcery, tarot cards, horoscopes, you name it. Where we're trusting in the elemental spiritual forces of this world, or we're just trusting in other spiritual beings that are not of Christ, that are not Christ, that are not our God, uh, Yahweh. The reality is, it's 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 deeper than that. It's deeper than that because it's not that easy. In our context, in our society, in our day, man, the devil's screams have done such a good job of interweaving itself with how we do life. It's just not as easy as going, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go destroy this, I'll go burn this. So let's just give some examples since we're having so much fun. <laughs> just some. Let's talk about the news. Let's talk about the news. There are two terrible three-letter words, one on this side and one on this side. (laughs) Right? And and they create this polar opposites in our culture. It pull families apart, it pull churches apart. And the problem is this it's interwoven, isn't it? Because we don't want to get rid of the news. We want the news. We want to know that an earthquake happened in Turkey. That there are Christians and that there are people who need to know Jesus in Turkey. And that we have a partner that we can help support to provide relief. We want, we want the news so that we can be aware of this. But... Because the devil's schemes are so intertwined, whether it's in the middle or this way or that way or beyond that or beyond that, whatever it is, we allow the news to what? Create this area in our life where we allow unhealthy thoughts where we unha- allow unhealthy anger, where we'll we allow hatred of somebody that God made in his own image, by the way, where we'll we allow like these motives that are not of Jesus, where we'll we allow these actions or, or these whatever it may be, and it's the sin. And, and it's because it's because of these schemes through this thing that is inherently good, just knowing about what is going on, but we create the space in our heart, like these early Christians had the space in their life with these sorcery schools. We create this space in our heart and the problem is is that it's not just sin the problem is is that this sin in our life invites spiritual warfare and we don't even realize it sometimes we just need to remember that verse in Ephesians our fight is our struggle is not against flesh and blood we want the news don't we? we do but it's not that easy you can't just destroy the news you wouldn't want to Let's keep going down this rabbit hole. Social media. Oh, man. Right? Like, talk about a device that has been used in terrible ways. And yet, it's also something that has been used in our life to help us reconnect with family, to, to share, like, uh, prayer requests that are needed so that the body of Christ can surround us all around the world. You see you see what I'm getting at here? Where it's just not as clean and there's almost this kind of like spiritual jealousy, if you will, of these early Christians that had the ability to be like scrolls, bad, fire, gone, right? Uh, maybe, maybe for you, like you you have enough self-awareness and enough discipline to know like you can you can eliminate certain things in your life and that is good. I believe that is what we're called to do as Christians is to understand how we can how we can live like Christ in the context and in the world that He's He's placed us in. All right, we could do another one, another rabbit hole, streaming services. Right? There's some wonderful content on streaming services. There is some terrible content on streaming services. There are things in our life that are so woven into how we do living that, that we, we create places in our heart. And, and, and we let these worldviews or we let, we let these unhealthy emotions or thoughts or actions, we let them fester in this corner of our heart. And again, the problem is not that it's just sin. The problem is that those things are actually inviting spiritual warfare into our life. And as Christians, the war on our life has already been won, and yet we make it really hard for ourselves as the war for how we will live like Christ goes on every day. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Beautiful thing about the Bible is that the answer is always in the Bible. (laughs) What did the early Christians do? I love love the verse that says this in the text that we just read. And so some of the believers, what did they do? They confessed. They confessed. They realized, yeah, this is in my life, and I, I need to get rid of this. And so they confessed. They had this act of repentance, and it was like, God, help me here. So three things as we close. The first thing is for all of us, and I'm saying all of us because I've struggled through this passage personally so much as I've been preparing. And every time God will expose something in my life, I'm like, okay, God, thanks. Got that taken care of. (laughs) And then like the next day, he'll expose something else in my life. And I'm like, doggone it. I thought I took care of, you know, it's just... Cassie and I, uh, Cassie and I uh, love DIY projects, okay, uh, to a fault, um, but uh, the home that we bought was an older home. Have any of you ever lived in an older home, like 30, 40 years or more? Some, okay, some of you some of will you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, older homes uh, tend to kind of bring their own uh, opportunities with them, right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the home that we live in brought a new opportunity and, and it's this right here on the screen. You see this? Yeah. 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 Thank you. That's how we feel. Okay. So like when we first moved into the home, and like you know, if you've ever had a mouse problem, you know there are signs. <laughs> right? And Cassie and I didn't take us long, We're like whoa, wait a second. Yeah, wait a second. And then sure enough, as we started doing some of the renovating we wanted to do we well i won't even go to just dozens of dead mouse carcasses in the wall it was just like it was just like what is going on here So what do you do when you own a home like this? You do everything you can to shore up to have a rodent-free home, don't you? Like this is is what you do. And like the way they build homes now are practically rodent-free, right? And there's a lot of business around uh, helping your house be rodent-free. Friends, when it comes to our life, we need to understand that our lives will never be rodent-free. Because of our sinful nature, And because there are spiritual forces who are actively working against us to to wage a war on how we will live like Christ, our homes will never be rodent-free. Not on this earth. And we should never be so arrogant to think that we short up our life completely to the point that we aren't somehow creating little pockets in our heart, little pockets in our mind, where sin can't invite spiritual warfare in. This is a daily battle, a daily surrender, a daily act of confessing and repenting and leaning on each other for help. First thing. Second thing. We've already won. And we should not be afraid. We should take this seriously, but we already have the victory in Jesus. Some of us, we need to do a little more offense than defense. Our children and our students need a prayer of protection over them in our, in just in life. And the things that they have to deal with, growing up that none of us, most of us never had to deal with. Things that we're dealing with now. But we're adults and hopefully we have, we have this, this, this more mature and hopefully spiritually mature way of, of dealing with this and understanding. But they're just children. Children who are being told that they can just change their identity and how God created them in a beautiful way. And our students who are in the schools, and it doesn't matter what school it is, it doesn't matter if it's a private school, if it's a public school, there is great spiritual oppression on our students. And may we just be a church that is praying for each other in this way a hedge of protection around our lives, a hedge of protection around those who are vulnerable that the spiritual forces want to wage war on the way in which we live for Christ, that they would be fought off victoriously, that they would not have a foothold in our lives, that they would not have a foothold in the lives of our friends or our families. And you can imagine that's kind of what went on as others started to confess, as others started to burn their idol, that there was this mutual encouragement and prayer for each other as this great revival was happening in Ephesus. Some of us, we just need to go a little bit more on the offense when it comes to some of this as we pray, as we pray for others. Third thing, and lastly, is just disruption. The way the chapter ends, which could be a whole message and a half of itself, is that this revival that just happened in Ephesus is causing disruption. Why? Because I already hinted at it that there's this God, Artemis, and there's this really big marketplace called the Agora. Guess what one of the major industries was? The selling of the idol of Artemis. And there's a guy named Demetrius that we meet, and he's not having it. And so what does he do? He gets a riot going. And for those of us that have been walking through acts together, we're like, well, this is kind of what happens everywhere Paul goes. (laughs) Right? And this is... For a reason, why? Because the gospel draws us into a new way of living that what? Turns our world upside down and when our world is turned upside down, what does it do? It turns the world upside down and this causes disruption. So this this riot occurs and uh, there's this uh, great line in, in the text. You should read it this week where it says like people didn't even know why they were there. They were just like a, sens- a senseless riot, which in our recent history, we, we can kind of understand what that can look like, right? Just this senseless riot people just kind of brought in. And the, one of the beautiful things about this riot, too, is like Paul, Paul's this brave, bold man, right? Like if you, man, to meet Paul, Paul's just like, let me in, I'll go talk to this riot, you know. And his friends, Christians and non-Christians, were like, Paul, no, 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 no. And Paul's like, no, dude, let me at him. I'll get in front of them all and I'll straighten them. You know what I mean? I'll preach Jesus. And they're like, Paul, don't do it. And they kept him. They kept him from, from being beaten again. But there's disruption By the way, the riot dissipates because they're a free city and the officials are like, hey, Rome's not going to be happy with this riot. Let's kill it, right? Let's stop it. But the movement continues. Some of us need to get a little bit more comfortable with disruption in our life. With the disruption that comes from a world that is turned upside down because we're living with the power of the gospel. With the disruption that comes because our lives are truly being changed. Not that we are starting riots of our own, but that we, we are people who understand that the war for our life has already been won. But the battle for how we will live like Christ goes on day after day after day. But because we have the victory in Jesus, we can move into that boldly. Because we have Jesus, we know that we are made in his image. Because we have Jesus, we know that he is with us. He is present that there, are, there is nothing that we cannot overcome in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So may we be this, this week. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to live more like you. Father. Today or this week, maybe just in the car ride home, just help us to pray this prayer. God, reveal to me the areas in my life in which sin is inviting spiritual warfare. And through confession and through repentance, Father, through your forgiveness and your grace and your love and your mercy, may, may we expand the understanding of what it is to have the fullness of Christ in our life so that we can be a light in the darkness, so that we can stand firm against the daily struggle for the way in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.